We're going to start this morning with a test. You ready for this? I'm going to show you a bunch of images, and you need to see which picture you actually see first in these images. Apparently, if you look online, the image that you see first actually says something about you. You ready? Here we go. Who sees the crocodile first? Put your hand up. Who sees the boat first? Okay. I don't know what that says about you, but it's interesting, right? Here's, uh, here's another one. Do you see the old man or the young lady first? Uh, who, who sees the young lady? Who sees the old man? Okay, a few of you. All right. You ready? Here's the next one. Do you see the car or the binoculars first? Uh, binoculars. Listen to all you people. You're, uh, what about this one? Do you remember this? Is there a, this is like Magic Eye. I have never seen the image in a Magic Eye once in my life. So I, I, I just think it's completely made up. It doesn't actually exist. Can anyone see, see what's in that? No? Probably not without moving close to it and then moving away or something. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? See, and how would we even know? Some of you are going, yeah, there's a donkey in there, and it's pink. And it's like, okay, sure, we'll just have to take your word for it, right? Um, you could kind of say whatever you want it. Uh, today we're actually going to dive back into the Gospel of John. Um, if you've been with us for a while, you know that we've been working through the Gospel of John. Uh, if you missed um, the first five chapters, uh, you're welcome to go to our website and check it out. And, uh, and the, the passage we're looking at today in John chapter 6 is, a, um, is about a miracle. It's a tight little narrative about a miracle that Jesus pulls off. And, um, and John uh, loves to highlight the signs that Jesus actually does. It's the only miracle, other than the resurrection, that actually shows up in every single gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. It's a classic story. Um, the characters are kind of sketched out, a problem develops, it reaches a crescendo and then someone comes in and resolves it. But in the midst of it all, what people are looking at and how they see, like these pictures, is critical. It's really, really critical. So let's have a read of the text. If you've got your Bibles there, go to John chapter 6. Um, I'm going to read from the ESV. John chapter 6, we're going to read the first 15 verses. Quite a, quite a famous miracle of Jesus, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. About, just so that you know, about 20 AD, Caesar founded a city on the west shore of Galilee called Tiberias, and the lake eventually became known as the Sea of Tiberias. Um, probably not in the days of Jesus, but in the time when John's writing later on. That's why John kind of flags that it was known as the Sea of Tiberias. Um, and a large crowd was following him, verse 2, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. John loves these little location and time uh, signatures. Uh, lifting up his eyes in verse 5 then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. An average labourer would be paid a denarii a day. Uh, oh, sorry, a denarius a day, I should say. 
So 200 is like two-thirds of a year of work for a, a labourer. Um, verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, um, which is actually suggestive of the time of the year that Passover was at, where the heat hadn't come and browned all the grass off. It's an interesting little kind of eyewitness accounts as we go through. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they'd eaten their fill... He told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up. They filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So let's have a look at this story today. Here's the first thing we're going to look at. What is the rising problem? Go back to verse five have a look at verse five lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him jesus said to philip where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat let's um let me just sum it up for you jesus and his disciples have taken off for some for some downtime the crowd's worked out where they are and and they've they've followed they've found him and they're coming to him now matthew tells us that jesus saw the um the crowd and had compassion on them and he healed their sick uh, Mark, in Mark 6, he tells us about the same story. He says that Jesus looked and they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he taught them. Um, you know, it's, um, it, it's interesting. There's this crowd. There's this crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children, probably close to 20,000 people there. It's getting late. They're in a solitary place and the people were probably getting hungry or about to get hungry. And this is a problem. We aren't talking about 5,000 youth without an Xbox <laughs> or 5,000 women without the latest fashion or 5,000 men without the tools they need to get the job done. We're talking food here. That's what we're talking about. They're in the middle of nowhere and they don't have any food. Now, if you were a uh, Jew back in the day, that would, um, that, that would uh, bring back a few memories for you because uh, in the Old Testament, uh, God's people Israel found themselves in a similar situation in exodus 16 the israelites have uh, come out of uh, out of egypt and they find themselves in the the wilderness of sin ironically enough uh, and they complained in the wilderness of sin that they didn't have any food and they got really really intense about it and started accusing moses of some uh, some terrible terrible motives that he'd actually brought them out of egypt to kill them and god speaks and he says oh, i'm going to provide manna in a sense i'm going to provide bread in the middle of the wilderness do you see the connection it's a similar thing actually going on here now let me just unpack this problem a little bit in all of the gospels the telling of this uh this miracle it's the same problem it's a big crowd they don't have any food but what we actually find in uh, Matthew, Mark and Luke is they fill in a little bit of detail that we don't actually get in John. Because the reality is that Jesus and the crowd, sorry, Jesus and the disciples see the same problem in the crowd, but they have a different remedy. <laughs> okay. Let me uh, read you this, Matthew 14, 15. The disciples see the problem and they say, 
send the crowd away to get some food. Mark 6 verse 36, send them away. Luke 9 verse 12, send the crowd away. And you know what? I think one of the things that we see in this miracle is something that we see a little too frequently with people, and it's this, not my problem. (laughs) Not my problem. You ever seen that? You ever heard someone say it? Ever thought about it yourself? You got people in front of you, there's, there's trouble, there's a problem, and you kind of think, not my problem, their problem. You know, sometimes our, the situations that we find ourselves in are too big. This is probably one of those. Sometimes the situations we get in are complicated. Sometimes we actually, let's be honest, we don't want our plans to get interrupted. And so we go, not my problem. I suspect this one for the disciples is just too big for them. And they tap out and they go, not our problem, their problem. Now, one thing that you would notice if you read the other accounts of the feeding of the 5,000, and I mentioned it before, is that um, they they make a point of saying that Jesus has compassion on the crowd. He has compassion. What's compassion? Well, compassion's about feeling what someone is feeling, either with them or for them. Do you know what compassion is? Compassion is when you take someone else's problem and it becomes your problem. That's what compassion is. You know, the Latin word compati actually means to suffer with. Do you know what? (laughs) Here's the truth. Jesus was never going to send them away. Never. And I want to say this to you, and I want you to hear this deeply personally. He will never send you away. You see that? If you've read that in, in the accounts of the feeding of the 5,000 in the Gospels, and you saw Jesus agree with the disciples, send them away, and he stands up and says, you people have got a problem, you need to go away and sort it out. You know, if I read that, and I get to a time in my life where I've got a problem, then all of a sudden I'm doubting, I'm questioning whether Jesus is actually going to come through for me. Is he going to say, not my problem? And you, you need to hear today that he never, ever, ever, ever says to you, when you have a problem, not my problem. Never. This is what he does. He, um, he makes your problems his problems. <laughs> That's what he does. The, crowd, the disciples say, send the crowds away. Jesus says... Where are we to buy enough bread so that these people may eat? This is the way Jesus thinks about the problems that you have, the problems that humanity has. He takes it on board. He doesn't think it's somebody else's problem. He thinks we, not you. (laughs) Do you believe that? That when you have a problem, that Jesus takes responsibility for it, that he thinks we? Have you got a problem today that's big? And you think he's going to say to you, not my problem? He won't. He won't. That's the rising problem. Let's rise over verse 5 to 9. 
There's a test. The story moves on. Jesus gets the ball rolling by asking Philip a curious question. And here's the question. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Jesus is making clear here, we need to do something about this, people. What can we do? Why does he ask Philip? Well, he asked Philip because Philip was a local. He was from uh, nearby Bethsaida. And so Philip gets to work. He starts doing the calcs, right? 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. He can't work it out. So he goes and he gets Andrew involved, right? And Andrew uh, does something with which Andrew always seems to do. Now, one thing you'll notice in the Gospel of John is usually when Andrew is mentioned, he's bringing someone to Jesus. That's what he's doing. Uh, he's the guy that brings people into Jesus. You see that uh, with Peter in uh, John 1 verse 42. And as a side note, you could do way worse than Andrew. <laughs> um, just follow Andrew's example. You know, it's, you think about people around you, people in your family who, who, who need help. You could do worse than just getting them to Jesus. You with me? Let's, let's just get them to Jesus. We don't have to be the ones that fix them. We don't have to be the ones that are the brains. We don't have to have some kind of life hack that's going to make their life go better. Just get them to Jesus. Find some way to get them to Jesus. This is Andrew. Be like Andrew. <laughs> All right. Who does Andrew bring? Well, he brings a young boy with five barley loaves and two fish. Now, barley loaves were cheap bread. Uh, and commentators suggest the, um, the reason why the kid probably had fish is to actually help the rough barley bread to go down. So what we've got here is a little boy, probably from the poor class, from a poorer class, uh, with loaves that could scarcely be called loaves, and a tiny little bit of fish to help the cheap bread wash down. Andrew shows up. We've got this. That's not going to be enough. And here's the really cool thing about this test. They're stuck. And they can't manage their way out of it. Now, if you go back and, um, and look at a little comment that John makes about this situation, um, it's, it's quite quite fascinating um, you see the question up the top there where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat and the comment by John underneath he said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do now just stop for a moment how how comfortable are you with this <laughs> how comfortable are you with it because Jesus is sending Philip down the garden path. That's what he's doing. He's kind of sending him down the garden. Now, he's not lying to him, but he's sending him down the garden path. Jesus was never going to buy anything, ever. Jesus knew it was going to be a miracle. And, and it begs the question, right? Why, why ask Philip this question before you do the miracle? Just jump in and do the miracle. It's a good question, right? Except if Jesus just jumps in and does the miracle, an opportunity is lost. And the opportunity is this. That testing is one of the means by which you grow up. That's how you grow up. And I want to say to you this morning, if you don't have a category in your head for God testing you, 
multiple times a day, then you won't understand most of what goes on in the Scriptures. God does this stuff all over the place. And it existed before sin came into the world. If you go right back to Genesis chapter 2, in a perfect world, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, you may not like the idea, and people have debated it for uh, probably millennia, You may not like the idea of God putting the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, but it's all part of the process of humanity being tested, passing tests and growing up. That's how it's meant to work. God doesn't give us tests because he wants us to fail. He gives us tests because that's how you grow up. You know, you've got moral tests, wisdom tests, there's skill tests. Any time that you want to grow up, you need to get tested. That's how it works. Um, think about it. If you want to get fitter and stronger, you go to the gym. And what do you do at the gym? You put weights on a bar and you test your muscles. And then what happens once you can lift those weights? Well, you put more on and you test it more. And as you get tested, you get stronger. You know, the point of going to the gym is not to put 200 kilos on the bench press bar and have it land on your neck and be a paralytic for the rest of your lives. It's, the point of it is actually to pass the test. That's how it's meant to work. If you want to get better at the piano, what do you do? You take on harder and harder pieces. Pieces that are too hard for you perhaps even a little bit, but you take them on and you work at it. If you want to grow in wisdom, how do you grow in wisdom? There's lots of us probably pray and say, God, would you make me wiser? You know how you get wiser? By getting more complex problems thrown at you. You know, it's the old prayer that no one ever wants to pray. God, make me patient. How do you get more patient? By having more trouble. Because that's actually how it works. And it's not even just a sin reality. It's the way that God's made you to work. You're made to be tested and to grow up as you're tested. And you're meant to pass tests. Tests are not designed by God to catch you out. Uh, It's so that you would grow up. This is what James talks about in James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers. This is a Toyota jump, right? You get up tomorrow and trials come your way. And James says you're meant to jump in the air when they come. Can count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How do you get to being perfect and complete and lacking in nothing? By being tested. That's how you get there. So get excited about it. I don't, I don't hear any amens. Maybe it's some masks. But that is, that is how it works. Um, so here's, here's my question coming back to the, uh, the John 6 passage. And I'm going to give you 60 seconds to have a quick chat to the person next to you. Here's the thing I want you to uh, have a quick conversation about with the person next to you. If this is a test, what's the nature of the test in John chapter 6? All right? 60 seconds. Have a chat. See if you can work it out. Go. How'd you go? I wonder what you came up with. What do you think 
the test is. Oh, group's a bit too large for us to have an all-in at this point in time, but I want to suggest to you it comes down to what uh, you're looking at. What do you see? That's what the test is. And this is, um, this is what I think the test is in John chapter 6. Will they look to physical things to resolve the problem or will they look to Jesus? Excellent. Well done. Thanks, David. <laughs> and uh, do you know something? This is the test that Jesus puts before each of us every day. Because every single day has got problems and troubles in it. And the question is always, will you look to Jesus to resolve the problem or will you look at the physical things that are right in front of you? Now, some of you might go, well, hang on, Peter, like, there are some physical things in front of me and I can solve some problems. And I would say to you, yes, there are. And you can solve some problems. And some of that is an expression of the fact that God gave humanity a little piece of his dominion in Genesis chapter 1 and said, go and exercise your dominion and bring about good and order in the world. Absolutely. But our difficulty is that we just forget about God sometimes. And it's like, I, you know, at that point in time, we're not thinking about what God wants to do and what the situation needs to be according to him we're just thinking about what we want it to be and then we use all the resources we can to get it to go where we want it to go we we are good at managing our lives in some ways we like to do it what's the resolution that we see in uh, john chapter six what's well, an interesting uh, resolution um, and uh, it kind of comes off the back of uh, my second point there uh, about what the test is and it's and it's this um, God will regularly take you into situations which you can't do without him <laughs> this is what he's doing with Philip here he's taking Philip right into a situation and the disciples right into a situation that they can't fix without him and and this is you need to hear this if you're in a situation that you can't get out of yourself you need to see that as the grace of God and the kindness of God. Because we are way too prone to just managing our way out of stuff. Is anyone with me on that? We're just way too prone for that. To that. And so it's a gracious thing of God if he backs you into a corner and you can't manage your way out of it. There's too many people here to buy food. The food that they have is minuscule. What now? Can you relate? Are you in that place now? This is what God does. Now, you can get frustrated with him. You can do that. But he does it, and he does it regularly. He backs people into a corner so that you can't get out unless it's you and he together. You can't do it on your own. In Mark chapter 4, Mark tells the story of Jesus and the disciples in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and a, and a storm comes up, and it's a big storm, and the disciples think they're going to drown. And Jesus is asleep in the stern on a cushion. But look at the opening verse of that section. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Now, do you think he knew that there was going to be a storm? I do. <laughs> I totally do. And the reason why I, uh, why I think that he knew is because this is classic God. I mean, you can go to Moses... 
You can go to Jeremiah, you can go to Joshua, you can go to character after character after character through the Scriptures. And what God does is He takes them to situations and He backs them into corners and they can't get out of it unless He does something. And He forces them to trust in Him, not in their ability to manage and organise what's going on around them. That's how He rolls. And the test is what are you going to do when you get there? And some of you know that and you feel the sharp edge of that this morning. You're in the middle of a really, really hard test and you're going, I can't get out. I've been trying for the last six weeks to work out a way out and I can't get out. And it's like, that's exactly where God wants you to be. (laughs) Exactly. Will you do your best to manage your available resources and perhaps get frustrated and anxious when you don't have what you need or will you look to him? The disciples looked at what they could see and they missed who Jesus was. And this is what you need to remember. You need to remember that um, our rescue is embodied in a person. Our rescue is embodied in a person. And to push it even just a little bit further, I want to say this, this next thing to you. Not only is our rescue embodied in a person... But our ultimate rescue in every situation is not the physical resolution of the problem. It's engaging with the personal presence of Jesus in the midst of it. That's, that's our ultimate rescue. What does Jesus do here? Well, he takes the bread and fish, he gives thanks for it, and he multiplies it so that everyone has their fill. That's uh, like no mean feat in my house that everyone has their fill. And there are 12 basketfuls left over. And this is classic God. This is Jeremiah 31 verse 14. I will satisfy the priest with abundance and my people will be filled with my bounty. This is what God does. You just need to know God has abundance for you. He can and he does do amazing things. But one of the things we need to be careful of is that we're not kind of rusted on to the physical things that Jesus does. As though Jesus was some kind of person who can pull party tricks for us. It's something we see from people who are following Jesus in the Gospels. They regularly just think, this is the guy that can make our lives go better. And Jesus is up to way more than that. He's up to people buying into him personally, not just what he can do. You know, a very simple application of this miracle, a cheap, simple application of it would be for me to stand here and say, Jesus will give you everything that you need. And he provided for the 5,000 and whatever you go and ask him, he's just going to give it to you. Trust God and you'll have what you need. But I want to say this to you. There'll be times where you won't have what you think you need. Let's be honest about it. There just will be times where you won't have what you think you need. God doesn't always play ball with us. You know, there, there are many who have given up on Jesus because he didn't manage their world the way they wanted him to. You know, I could stand up here and say, trust Jesus and he'll give you everything that you need. And, but there's a problem with it, right? Because Jesus doesn't always roll that way. Probably most of you don't have Hebrews 11 on your uh, mirror as a memory verse. Right. Hebrews 11 tells us 
that if you follow Jesus, it can end in torture, imprisonment, mocking. Don't hear any amens. Flogging, stoning of the hard kind, being sawn in two. There's some people go, oh, there's stoning happening at church. I'm coming. Um, Not that one. Being sawn in two, being killed with the sword, mistreatment, and so on. So we come back to the question, and uh, I've left, there's a bit of a trick in it. Um, It is a test, yeah. Does Jesus promise that if we trust in him that we'll get everything we need? Well, yes and no. We will get everything that we need for the preservation of our souls. No hesitation, but not necessarily for the preservation of our bodies in this life. You see, what was going on for the disciples here is they're transfixed on the physical when they needed to be looking to Jesus. And you know, Scripture talks the whole way along that there's a deeper hunger and a deeper food than physical food and physical hunger. Do you know that? It's what Moses wrote about in Deuteronomy 8. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. There's a deeper reality to this. You see, this is where Jesus is going to go in the rest of John chapter 6. Jesus doesn't merely provide bread for life. Jesus is the bread of life. John 6 verse 35, just down the chapter a little bit. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But they couldn't see it. You know, we read the last couple of verses in the chapter, verse uh, 14 and 15. The people saw the sign that Jesus had done and they just go, he's the prophet that's come into the world. Um, you know, it may be that the, the mention of there being 5,000 men and, and the focus on that is, is like, oh, there's going to be some kind of uprising. So we've got the men there that can form some kind of small kind of army um, that can do something. And so they're going to take Jesus and make him king because they can... Jesus is going to be able to do some things for them. And do you know, in the midst of looking at all of these things, they missed the deep, profound reality that Jesus is the bread of life. He doesn't just provide it. He is it. And as I, as I close, I want, to, I want to ask you this question. Do you want to be a robust, powerful person? It's where you get it from. Do you know what it is like to not thirst in the center of your soul because you're feeding on Jesus? Even for 30 seconds. Have you had that? Have you had that? Have you ever had that moment as you're, as you're reading Scripture and you're praying? Perhaps it was even the time when you first came to faith and you gave your life to Jesus and, and there was kind of a feeding on Him and it's like you just went, it doesn't matter about anything else anymore. 
That's the only thing that matters. As long as I can have him, I can do the other stuff. Another question. Do you know what it is like, even for a second, to not be hungry in the center of your soul because you're enjoying Christ? Acts chapter 7, um, Stephen gets uh, hauled before the religious authorities. And um, he gets put under the pump. And um, he probably had the opportunity if he bailed and he went soft. Um, that he probably could get out of it, maybe. Just kind of recant. Don't, don't say that you really meant it. Oh, it was just, just jokes. But if you read what uh, Stephen says in Acts chapter 7, he just unloads and he just calls it exactly how it is. And they all get really, really angry with him. And in the end, they're so angry, they take him out and they stone him to death. But there's something that happens before uh, Stephen gets stoned to death, which I think is very significant and important for us today is just before that, you know what the account says? It says that uh, Stephen looked up and he saw Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. And he went out and they stoned him. And we're still talking about him today. See, I, I think Stephen understood what it means to have Jesus as the bread of life and to lose everything else that you think you need for life. That will make you... You, you want to be a powerful person? You, you get really close to Jesus. You draw in really close and you feed deeply on him and you have him nourish your soul. And then if the other stuff doesn't roll the, the way that you want it to roll, it doesn't matter as much. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter as much We're going to have communion this morning. And do you know um, communion is about Jesus and his death on the cross? <laughs> it's, it's about Jesus saying that your problems matter to him. It's about Jesus not saying, not my problem. He knew humanity was in a fix. The Father knew it, the Spirit knew it, God knew that there was trouble <laughs> and didn't walk away from it, but actually walked toward it. And so we find in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus breaking bread again, but he's doing it in a different way. Let me read it for you, Matthew 26. Now, as they were eating the Last Supper, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood for the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus went to the cross and his body and his blood 
are represented by um, the juice and the bread this morning of, uh, of communion. And you know, uh, Paul writes later on in Romans, he says, because um, I don't want you to go out with any kind of doubt or distrust about God's goodness to you. But Paul, later on in Romans, uh, he says this, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not along with him also give us all things? <laughs> you know, you know what you need most? What you need most is you need Jesus most. Even more than food and even more than drink. That's what you need most. And so communion today is you saying to Jesus... I want you to come this close to me. I want you, like this juice and this bread will come and become intimately part of the cells in my body. Would you come in that close to me and give me life? So if you're not a Christian, um, you shouldn't take it because <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Um, so feel free to let it go. And if you're a Christian and for some reason you're just in a place where you don't feel like communion's the right thing today, that's fine. That's okay too. You can, you can let it go. But for anyone who has problems <laughs> and knows that they need something far deeper than just the solution to their problems, they need Jesus himself, this is for you today. So why don't you, um, we'll have the people serving communion come and stand out the front. But I'd, I'd love for you, scriptures talk about examining yourself before you take communion so i'd love for you to take a moment um, just to pray to talk to the lord if there's any anything in between you and him um, why don't you talk to him about it ask him to come close and as you uh, as you take communion today um, in a sense it's it's a strange way to put it but feed feed on jesus by faith as you take it say jesus i want you to energize me. I want you to satisfy the hunger at the core of my soul. So take a moment to, um, uh, to examine yourself. And then um, when you're ready, come and grab it. Uh, we're not going to eat it all together today. You can just go back to your seat and, uh, and take communion um, as you're ready. Uh, you're welcome to turn to the person next to you if you want to do that. You don't have to do it on your own. You can get them to pray for you or whatever. But uh, take a moment and come and get some communion and then um, I'll pray and then we'll, we'll sing the last song. There's this um, story in the Old Testament and uh, I hadn't planned on saying this. Uh, pretty sure it's King Saul and um, there's a battle going on and he makes this vow um, and, and uh, binds everyone by this vow that they're not to eat anything until the battle's over and it was a foolish vow. Uh, it was a foolish vow because it was a long battle. It was a long day and the soldiers got tired and they needed to eat. And um, there were some soldiers that didn't know about the vow. And they found some honey. <laughs> and they ate the honey. And the scriptures say and their eyes brightened when they ate the honey. And that, that's my prayer for you is that your eyes brighten when you feed on Jesus. It doesn't matter what situation you're in. Because you know, yeah, He can do miracles, but more than He can do miracles, the biggest, the biggest miracle is that He is with you, right? And that you get to feed on Him, you get to enjoy Him. So I'm going to pray that. I'm going to pray that 
Jesus would brighten your eyes with his presence. And people would look at you and just go, well, that's weird. Why would you be like that in that situation? Well, you would if you're feeding on Jesus. Why don't you stand with me? I'll pray for you and we'll sing and then I'll pray a blessing on you at the end. Well, Jesus, you do brighten our eyes. You brighten my eyes. And you know what I'm talking about. Because we've been talking about that. And God, you brighten the eyes of people here at church today. And they've been talking to you about that. They've been hanging out with you. And they're different because of it. And God, a lot of times their uh, situation hasn't changed. It's just not different. It hasn't budged. Doesn't look, it is, doesn't look like it is going to change for a very, very long time. But they've changed. And they've changed because they're feeding on the one who is life, the, the, the bread of life, and their eyes are bright. And so, God, I pray for any here today who, who don't have bright eyes today because they, they haven't found the honey in the situation that they're in at the moment. They're, they're, they're stuck looking at their circumstances. They're stuck with looking at what they can see. Jesus, help them to see you. To not look through you. There's a great irony, Jesus, is that you were the biggest resource that the disciples had, but they didn't see you. And God, that's true for us, that you are the biggest resource that we have, and we just look straight through you so many times. Help us not to. Please forgive us for doing that. Brighten our eyes. Amen.